We're going to read from God's Word this morning, and we're reading first of all from, uh, is it the Mark passage first? Is that what I sent you, Mike? Sorry, I can't remember. Is it Jeremiah? Jeremiah 23, verses uh, 1 uh, onwards, and then we're going to read from Mark chapter 11 as well. So let's read um, from God's Word. We're going to read from Jeremiah 23, verses 1 to 8. And then we'll read from Mark's Gospel, verses, chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. Let's listen to God's word together. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And I will bring them back to their fold. And they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely. And shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore behold the days are coming declares the Lord. When they shall no longer say as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country. And, not, and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall be, dwell in their own land. And we're going to turn to Mark's gospel now. And we're going to read chapter 11, verses um, 1 through to 11. And this is quite a well-known passage on Palm Sunday. It's the triumphal entry. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And, when they, and they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks in it, and he sat in it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others uh, spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. Amen. Let us unite our hearts together in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your gospel. And Father, we ask that as we gather to sit under your word, now that you would penetrate our hearts with your truth. Lord, we pray that this morning your word would wash over us and wash us clean. Challenge us, Lord, we pray. Lord, would you bring us closer to yourself. Would we know your comfort and your peace upon us this morning as well. 
And Lord, may everything that is said and done be said and done for your glory, your honor, and your praise. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So as I've already said, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, it's the beginning of what we call Holy Week in the church calendar, where we begin Jesus' last journey into Jerusalem, where he goes to the cross. And the crowd we read of in Mark's gospel would have gathered there. They would have all been heading um, for the Passover as well. So there would have been lots and lots of people. So this crowd isn't, you know, one or twos. This is lots and lots of people that would have been there. And, and this um, triumphal entry that we read of when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and the, the, the crowds shout Hosanna is, is covered in, in, in the Gospels. And we're going to quickly just read, um, read one verse, uh, two verses, sorry, from Matthew chapter 21, um, where we, we read where Jesus, when he sends for this donkey, he does so um, to fulfill, it says, what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So this was all being done as a fulfillment of an earlier prophecy. And this prophecy that the gospel writers are alluding to actually comes from two different places in the Old Testament. The first part of that, when it says, say to the daughter of Zion, actually comes from Isaiah chapter 62, which is all about a chapter, which is all about the, the Zion's coming salvation. The chapter's all to do with the coming salvation that was coming for God's people. Behold your salvation, it goes on to say in Isaiah 62. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold your salvation comes. This word Zion is in a number of verses that we're going to refer to. And, and what is Zion? What does that mean? Well, we read in 2 Samuel that Zion is the city of David where the, the Ark of the Covenant is put. God's, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, if we can remember, we've looked at it over the last number of months. The Ark of the Covenant was where God's presence would dwell. So it, Jesus hadn't come yet. The, the Holy Spirit didn't live and dwell in, 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 in them like it does in us because of what Jesus has done now at the cross. So God's presence would dwell dwell and they'd have to physically go to a place to be near to God's dwelling place, his presence, which we, we know was, and we've thought about this as well, with the, the curtain, there was a veil, and we see that when Jesus dies on the cross, when he cries out, it is finished, the veil was torn in two. So this Zion is the city of David, Second Samuel tells us, and we read about the Ark of the Covenant being put in Zion, which would make it the center of worship and God's presence. Zion, John Piper says, refers to the city of Jerusalem, not just as another name, but because it is the city of God's presence and the city of great hope for God's people. So all that was within this, these verses, but the say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation is coming to you, as Isaiah would say. But then, like I said, the, this fulfillment that, that in the Gospels is speaking about of the prophecy, the first part in Matthew 21 is about the Isaiah passage, but the second part of it, which is more well known to us and is often read at Christmas time, comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And the context for that is the coming king of Zion, the coming king of God's people. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
So God's people, they were expecting someone to come. They had this great hope. Many of us know this. We've spoken about it. This great hope of anticipation that the Lord's anointed one, that the Messiah, the Savior of God's people would one day come. And all these verses in the Old Testament, all these prophecies, they're pointing towards that. But God's people in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in Jesus' day, many of them, what they were expecting was this military leader, this conquering king who would come, all-powerful, you know, wielding a sword to bring and restore back political rule to God's chosen people, Israel. They would expect him to have come uh, on, on a back of a horse, maybe even in a chariot. They had this anticipation of this military messiah, this one who would come to in the natural, restore order for God's people in Israel. But that's not what Zechariah says. It talks about this humble and king who would come seated on the back of a donkey. And Isaiah, the, those verses are actually in contrast to some verses later that Ze Zechariah speaks about, where he talks about this chariot and the, the war horse and the battle bow. And that isn't how our king came, though. That's not how he would approach his people. That's not how this king was coming. He came on the back of a donkey. This donkey was, a, 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 was for a man of peace. And just as our king was swaddled and placed in a manger, so too we see our king here continue this meek and mild and peaceful approach to restoring how things should be. From a manger to a donkey to a cross to a grave to glory in heaven. That was his route. That was the path he took. But don't mistake his approach in a donkey to make him any less of a king. A donkey wasn't beneath his royalty. Rather, it was a symbolic act that showed that the path he was leading on would one that would lead to suffering. He would be exalted. His exaltation would take place not by being lifted in physically high by those and placed on their shoulders, but by being placed on a cross and lifted high that way. The humiliation for the sake of his people so he could receive the glory he was due. And friends, the coming of this king that we look at on Palm Sunday is so intrinsically linked to the coming of salvation. We cannot separate the two. It's why the king came. Righteous and bringing salvation is he. His coming, the coming and the inauguration of his kingdom is so linked to the salvation that he would bring for God's people. Every fiber of the incarnation is so connected to this concept of righteousness and salvation. It is most beautiful, this hope of salvation that we have. And the crowds who gathered in Mark's gospel, as they see this, this man um, ride through them, being placed in the back of a donkey, and as co uh, coats were laid in front of him, and as they would wave palm branches, what was it they cried in verse 9 of chapter 11 of Mark? Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. The one who was coming is connected, the people cried, 
to David. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Mark, that's how Mark coins it here. Other places, would, they wouldn't talk about David being father. They would talk about Jesus being the son of David. Is another way that that is put. And this relation, this link back to David is a, is, don't, don't miss it, it's a, it's a royal title. They are ascribing kingship to Jesus. You're coming in the name of David. You're a descendant, you're known as sons of David. That means he's royalty. And what we see here, this link to the title of the son of David, it's so often used, especially at the beginning of the Gospels, especially in Matthew and in Mark, we see this title, son of David, where we read about Jesus being the valid king of God's people. That he was the long-anticipated messianic king. So let's turn to our Jeremiah passage, chapter 23 of Jeremiah, if you've still got your Bible there. I might speak to some of the verses, they might appear on the screens before us as well. The opening of our Jeremiah passage, we read about woe to the shepherds, woe to you, those who are in uh, uh, leadership. This is a, a warning that God was giving to those in any position over his people in Jeremiah's day. They were wicked people. And this word shepherds, it's not like, um, you know, those little men or women who were out in the fields physically looking after sheep. Again, this is a more kind of metaphorical word, shepherds, which, which um, it denotes um, any person in, in authority. So um, a ruler or a, or a king or anyone who had authority over God's people. Woe to you, for you're destroying and scattering my sheep, God said. These people who were in authority over God's people back in Jeremiah's day, they were leading them in the wrong way. They were, weren't leading them in the paths of righteousness. They were leading them in the complete opposite path. They were leading them to destruction. And actually the paths that they led them down ultimately led, led them into exile. And we have, read these, these terrifying words actually that, that if we just stopped at verse 2 we would have been you know whoa that's not very cheerful it's not very joyful there's no hope in it but then God speaks about gathering this remnant that even though my people are going to be scattered because of those who are in leadership over you even though that you're going to be taken away to different parts of the world I will gather you myself I will gather the remnant he says in verse 3 out of all the countries where I've driven them to and then we have these beautiful words in verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Isn't it amazing that mercy triumphs over judgment? God could have stopped it at verse 2. Again, friends, you've got things wrong, he says. You've gone in the wrong directions. How many times do I have to pull you back in? But my mercies are new every morning. And even though you're going to get scattered, Jeremiah is saying, God will gather you back. Because he himself is your shepherd. Now it's important to remember that when we see prophecies like this, especially in verse 5 about the, the days are coming, declares the Lord, will I raise up a, a, for David a righteous branch. That, that, that God is, yes he's speaking and we find his ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. But he's speaking into the natural context as well in Jeremiah's day. An easier maybe example for us to understand of that is where Abraham is promised a son. And we know that that promised son is ultimately found its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. But 
Abraham was also promised a son and he had a son. So there was a natural promise, a natural word that God was speaking, but it found its ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And most scholars would say that this prophecy that Jeremiah is speaking, it was given when a man named Zedekiah was king. Now, he was a terrible man, a really, really bad king. And one of the phrases that we see in, in the book of Kings when it's speaking about those who were kings is often they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And what that means is that they rebelled against God, they rejected his law, and they went off and they continued to live a life of sin. And then it leads God's people in those paths. And Jeremiah is speaking into this context where the kings of Israel and kings of Judah were just, they were awful. They were really, really bad. And before Zedekiah, there was a king called King Manasseh. And just to give you a picture about how far away from God's plans things had gone. King Manasseh continued to introduce idolatry, but he also introduced child sacrifices. So things were in a terrible place for God's people. It was awful. No wonder God is saying, woe to the shepherds, woe to those who are in charge of my people. You are le- you're destroying them, you're scattering them. And then we have Zedekiah as well, who wasn't really a good king. And the scattering that's spoken of here, many scholars would say, is actually where God allows the Babylonian empire to come in. And they're taken as God's people into a foreign land. By the rivers of Babylon. Maybe you're thinking of a pop song. Maybe you're thinking of the psalm. I don't know. By the rivers of Babylon. Where we sat down. Where we wept. And we remembered Zion. That's what this would lead to. They were taken as God's people and led into exile. They were taken away into a foreign land. And God allowed it. Why? In his mercy. In his mercy, he would break the pattern of the evil kings that they would have. He would cut that line of throne right down to what we see Isaiah speak of. A stump. The root of Jesse. That God would promise, we see it again here, where God speaks into that fear of exile and being led into captivity. Because that's where God's people were going. He speaks this promise, this hope, this messianic promise. In verse 5, behold, the days are coming, friends, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And he goes on and he says, the Lord is our righteousness. Jehovah sent Kenya. He gives this prophetic hope this promise in verse 3 that even though you're going to go into exile and you're going to be driven out i'm still the covenant keeping and making god and i will gather you back unto myself and i will do that by raising up a righteous branch for you for my glory so what does that mean what does it mean in verse 5 when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch? Well, there's a bit of irony within here because remember I said King Zedekiah was probably king at this point. His name actually meant the Lord is righteous. Even though he didn't live it, that's what his name meant. So there's a bit of irony that God is using here in this word that he gives through the prophet Jeremiah. Where actually Zedekiah, he's not your righteousness it is the Lord, it is I, your God, who is your righteousness, God is saying. 
But what is this righteous branch that God is going to raise up? And why is he raising it up for David? Why do we see this David and righteous stuff back to back again, so closely linked? Well, firstly, for David, God says, remember the Mark passage we read where it talks about the father, um, the father David or, or, or um, the son of David do not pass us by. These are titles that, that God's people would speak and they're ascribed to Jesus. And we see it, Hosanna, we read in Mark chapter 11. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Again, we see that here. So what is this David thing? Why is God speaking it through Jeremiah? And why are the people calling it out in the triumphal entry? This is part, and friends, we, we cannot miss this. This is part of the covenant that God had established with his people. It is a reminder that God is saying that even though all this terrible stuff is happening, I still remember the promises I made to you as my people. I'm still faithful. I'm still going to pull through for you. Because God had made this covenant with David that, that from David a descendant would come that would have an everlasting kingdom. The descendant of David that would come, there would be a throne that would know no end. And we see that that is what God is saying here. I'm going to raise up for David that is connected to this kingship again, this line that David has promised. Of this everlasting kingdom that would know no end. And this term righteous branch, it becomes this uh, messianic prophecy that the, 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 the prophets would use as a title for the one that would come, a phrase that would point to the one who would come and bring salvation and restoration for God's people. This branch image is meant to show the continuing line of kings that God had promised originally to David, but then that is um, continually uh, shown through the prophets. It depicts the covenant that God made with David. Like I said, Isaiah uses it as well, where he speaks about the stump of Jesse or the root of Jesse. Jesse being David's father. That, that there's, there's a king that's going to come from this line. I've not departed from that promise. God is saying, I'm still faithful to that word I gave. It might look like the plant is gone, but I'm telling you, there's still a root there. There's still hope that from Jesse, a stump is going to come. This righteous branch is going to shoot off for David in fulfillment of the promise that I gave to him. That his descendants going to have this kingdom that will know no end. And even though you're going to go into exile, isn't it amazing that God gives his people a word to carry them through a season? And do you know the word that God, Jesus gave us just before he went? That maybe you need to hear again this morning. He's going to come back for you. I should carry you through this season. That might be really difficult and really hard. But your king's going to return for you. Because he said he will. Let that be a word in season for you. Let it penetrate your heart. Write it, ascribe it on your heart that my king is coming back. He's gone to prepare a place for me. Can you say that this morning? Because if you can, hallelujah. What a hope you have. And Jeremiah tells us who this king is. The Lord is our righteousness, he says at the end of verse 6. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. Jehovah sent Kenya. 
Remember when we see L-O-R-D in capital letters? We need to remember the, the, the name that God revealed to, to Moses, Yahweh. It's about his covenant keeping and making nature. Yahweh, our righteousness. Yahweh, sent Kenyu. And the way that we often um, translate this word Yahweh is Jehovah. Jehovah, sent Kenyu. The Lord is our righteousness. So our king comes to save us. Zechariah 9. Righteous and having salvation as he. Our king comes to save us, to restore us. But do you know what the amazing thing is? He didn't just come to save you, but he brought the means of your salvation as well. He didn't just come to save you, but he brought the means of your salvation. Not only did our king come to rescue us, but he brought what was needed for us to be rescued. We had no righteousness of our own, but it's okay, friends, because our king is righteous. The Lord is our righteousness. He's Jehovah in Kenya. Isaiah 61, listen to these beautiful words from verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. Like we saw with David this morning, friends. The righteousness that we're clothed in is not our own. It's not by any works that any man, woman, child could boast. But it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. It is the righteousness that belongs to the King of Zion. The King of heaven. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. It's his righteousness that you're clothed in if you're saved this morning. The one who came and rode in humility on a colt where the crowd shouted, Hosanna! As he entered into Jerusalem, that ancient cry which in Hebrew relates to the phrase, save us. That's what Hosanna means. Save us. Save us was the cry. Save me, King. Save me, one and descendant of David. Save me, O Jehovah, St. Kenyu. That is what they're crying here. Save us. As the righteous branch, not only did Jesus do what is right, but he would be what is right. He fulfilled the law. He completed it. He's done it all on our behalf. A righteous king was what God's people needed. And friends, you know this. We like sheep, we've all gone astray. We've all messed up. We've all got things wrong. As the apostle Paul would say, I could probably say it as well. I'm the chief of sinners. I mess up every single day of my life. But you know the amazing thing? My filthy rags have been put on Jesus. And only by the grace and the mercy of God am I clothed in the robes of righteousness that belong to Yahweh himself, Jehovah St. Kenya. The one who came, came with righteousness and salvation. Our king brought what we were lacking. He brought what we needed. And, and you know, as Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Friends, we lack nothing if we're in him. But not only were the kings of God's people in Jeremiah's day wicked, so too were God's people. They didn't get off scot-free. It wasn't just because of the kings, but God's people were terrible as well. In Jeremiah 5, God said to Jeremiah, I will forgive you if you find one good man. If you can find one righteous man, God said to Jeremiah in chapter 5, I will forgive you. And we read that Jeremiah searched high and low. 
But no one could be found. Not one person could be found. Not until we get to chapter 23 of Jeremiah. Where God sees the need that he can't find any righteousness in this world. So he'd said his one and only son. The one whose righteousness that we are covered in. The promised Messiah. The good shepherd. These shepherds that they had, they were terrible. They were bad. But there was a good shepherd who would come. And what does Jesus say? I'm the good shepherd who lays down my life for his sheep. The wise king, the righteous branch, Jehovah St. Kenyu himself, the Lord who is our righteousness. And what God does is God would credit his righteousness. He would credit it to the bank account of his people who were in trillions of debt when it came to righteousness. We didn't have any. We were so unrighteous. We were nowhere near even breaking even. And he credits his righteousness into our bank account. He would justify them by setting aside his glory in heaven and coming and being man. Hosanna, the crowd cried, son of David, save us. The righteous branch of David here. And the crowd on this day, they would, they would cry this cry of Hosanna. Save us, son of David. Little did they know that the one who was riding past them was Yahweh St. Kenyu himself. The Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah St. Kenyu. They didn't know what this cry meant, Hosanna. They didn't know the cost of what that cry would bring. But the mind-boggling thing is heaven knew. Heaven knew the cry and the cost of the cry, Hosanna. Heaven knew what would happen for this cry and what needed to happen for it to be answered. Hosanna, they cried, which led him to be betrayed. Hosanna, they cried, which led him to be spat at. Hosanna, they cried, which led him to be flogged, whipped and beaten. Hosanna, they cried, which led him to be nailed to a cross with nails through his hands and his feet. Hosanna, they cried. And like a lamb led to the slaughter, he stayed silent. Why? Because he's the righteous branch. He's Jehovah St. Kenyu. Friends, do not miss the significance of this name. Jehovah St. Kenyu, the Lord, our righteousness. All these other names that we've done, they're wonderful, they're great, they're powerful, and they're important. Absolutely. But the only reason we can know the experience of those other names is because Yahweh is Yahweh St. Kenyu. Because we can get near to God because he's taken our filthy rags and he's clothed us in robes of righteousness that belong to him and him alone. The only reason we can be in relationship with God this morning is because we've been made righteous by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has literally taken our sins on himself and he gives us, he imputes into us, scripture says, his righteousness. And this name Jehovah St. Kenyu, the Lord our righteousness, what we find in it is the, um, it fulfills this doctrine of uh, what we call justification by faith. That we who are undeserving sinners, that we're called righteous before God, through the free gift of redemption that can be anyone's who come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and in forgiveness of their sins. This name, Jehovah St. Kenya, means 
friends, that God is the source of our righteousness. So why churches get all boastful and proud and are full of pride, I have no idea. The only thing I can fathom is they don't understand Jehovah St. Kenyu. That without God, we're lost. Without him, we're nothing. But with him, we are the righteousness of God. Just before we finish, one verse and one hymn I want to read for you. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's all possible because our king, the king of Zion, is Jehovah Saint Kenyu. I want to end this morning by reading a hymn. I think it was originally written by, as a poem by a man named Robert Murray McShane. And it was written in about 1843. And this hymn or this poem, I think it was originally a poem, served as, really as his testimony. He, he had been unwell and he, he, he writes, he pens these words, which are just this beautiful um, image and story of the journey of faith that, that we should all go on. And, and, and I invite you either to, to close your eyes as I read this and, and just picture the cross of Calvary. Or, or if you're not comfortable doing that, maybe just focus on the cross that's at the front of the church here. But please listen to these words and, and ask yourself, is God my Savior this morning? Because if he isn't, come to him this morning. For if he is, you lack nothing. You have everything in him. This is what Robert Murray McShane wrote. I once was a stranger to grace and to God. I knew not my danger and felt not my load. Though friends spoke in rapture, of Christ on the tree. Jehovah St. Kenyu was nothing to me. I oft read with pleasure to soothe or engage Isaiah's wild measure and John's simple page. But even when they pictured the blood-sprinkled tree, Jehovah St. Kenyu seemed nothing to me. Like tears from the daughters of Zion that roll, I wept when the waters went over his soul, yet thought not that my sins had nailed to the tree. Jehovah St. Kenyu was nothing to me. But when free grace awoke me by light from on high, then legal fear shook me. I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety in self could I see. Jehovah St. Kenyu, my saviour must be. My terrors all vanished before the sweet name. My guilty fears banished with boldness I came. To drink at the fountain life giving and free. Jehovah St. Kenyu is all things to me. Jehovah St. Kenyu my treasure and boast. Jehovah St. Kenyu I never can be lost. In thee I shall conquer by flood and by field. My cable, my anchor, my breastplate and shield. Even treading the valley, the shadow of death. This watchword shall rally my faltering breath. From while, from life's fever. 
my God sets me free. Jehovah sent Kenyu, my death song shall be. Lord, I ask in the stillness just now that by your Spirit you would hover over us. Would free grace awake us this morning, we pray. Would you reveal to us in the silence just now, Lord, the cost you paid to be that King Riding on the back of a donkey. Jehovah St. Kenyu. Draw close to us now we pray. God, I thank you that you are our righteousness, you and you alone. And Lord, as we draw our service together to a close, Father, as we sing our last hymn this morning, would you draw close to us? Would we just feel your presence closer than we ever have before, Lord? Would we feel the weight of those robes of righteousness upon us? The peace that they give the security they bring, the comfort we can have, the confidence that is ours, that even treading the valley, the shadow of death, this watchword shall rally my faltering breath. From while from life's fever, my God sets me free. Jehovah St. Kenyu, our death song shall be. Amen. <laughs>